This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by listeners like you. Thanks for using the Tome's Amazon and DMs Guild affiliate links and our wonderful patrons over at patreon.com slash thetomeshow. Welcome to the Tome Book Club of November 2018. The Tome is a D&D news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Tracy Hurley. And I'm your co-host, Jeff Greiner. In each book club episode, we discuss one D&D-related book, spoilers be damned, in full book club style. And our book this time around is Night of the Black Rose by James Lauder. We're returning to an actual D&D book. It's been a while because, you know, they stopped publishing them for, for some time. Um, but this is an older one um, from back in the second edition days when they were publishing Ravenloft books. Uh, next month, we will be venturing outside of D&D again to uh, another franchise as we look at Star Wars Life Debt, which is book two of the Aftermath um, series. Uh, and we're going to read that by the end of January. And with us, as always, is Eric Paquette. Hey, Hello. Eric. Hello. Hey. So, like I said, we are talking about Night of the Black Rose by James Lauder. Uh, it is a book... It is a Ravenloft book, um, but it is a Ravenloft book from the second edition days when there were many known domains of dread, right? Ravenloft was one of the domains of dread. And then there was another one, you know, ruled by a mummy and one ruled by uh, a death knight, you know, Lord Soth, which is what this book is about. And one ruled by whatever, right? So there were a bunch of different domains of dread ruled by all these horrible creatures that came to Ravenloft. Uh, and sort of the the dark powers that rule the domains of dread created their own little realm for them, uh, and that's what Night of the Black Rose is kind of about, right? Um, it's sort of the book of how Lord Soth got to Ravenloft and ended up creating his own domain. Yes, it's basically he gets trapped. Lord Soth, being from Dragonlance uh, series, a Knight of Tachysis, the which is Tiamat, also, uh, basically gets pulled in into the Ravenloft. He is quick summary for the book. He's trying to get out, but being Ravenloft, he gets trapped there. Yeah, I mean that's that's basically the book in a nutshell, right? Tracy, you're going to say something. Um, and this is where I felt like I should jump in and uh, say up front that I did not finish this book. Yeah, and, hard time getting through it, huh? Yeah, I had a really hard time. And I do wonder, because like, once we started getting to the Ravenloft part, it was easier for me. Mm-hmm. And I feel like at the beginning, because there's a lot of Dragonlance, which right. I have not really read. Um, and there mm-hmm. was a lot of like place names and, and stuff like that, that I wonder if that made it difficult for me difficult for me to get into it okay and then when it moves to ravenloft it's it's largely interacting with characters you've you you know because we read the the first ravenloft book yeah that and also dragonlance didn't really make a comeback for fourth edition which is where i started with D. ah uh, that's true ravenloft never oh well did ravenloft not i think ravenloft was not oh. published in fourth but it was being published by a third party during third is that right yes I think that's how it played out. I think uh, Mar- Margaret Weiss Studios published Ravenloft for third edition, but then in fourth edition, it, it nobody published anything. Yeah, Margaret Weiss did for third edition did Dragonlance. Ravenloft. Oh, that's what. Re- yeah, that's what I meant. Sorry. 
Raven Love was being done, I believe, by one of the sub studios of White Wolf. The one he were doing some D and D stuff. They had a sub studio that they were working on stuff. Yeah, I believe they did Raven Love. And with fifth edition, they did have the Ravenloft adventure and everything that we also read. So right. Ravenloft, I had gotten introduced to. But Dragonlance was all not. new. Yeah. Well, m- maybe one of these times, one of these uh, book clubs, we'll have to go and actually read Ravenloft. But uh, I'm sorry, I keep saying Ravenloft. Dragonlance. Dragonlance. Uh, I, re- I read the Dragonlance novels way like that. This was one of my first D&D novels that I started reading probably in like fifth or sixth grade or maybe middle school. Um, and so I've, I've read them, but it's been a long time. Um, so it's, and it's got a long history. I'd have a hard time, um, reading one, like the, my, my memory of the Dragonlance novels is that they are not very well self-contained novels, right? We like, we read the, the first of the Dark Sun prison pentad. And that first book feels like it can stand alone pretty well. Like it comes to a, a, a decent conclusion, right? Um, I Strahd comes to a, a satisfying conclusion at the end of book one. I don't remember Dragonlance coming to a very satisfying conclusion at the end of book one. I don't, Eric, have you read them? I read them again, like you, decades ago. Right. Uh, and uh, yes, they, they are pretty much, well, the, the first series, the Dragonlance Chronicles, uh, which is on Appendix E, so if we want to go through it, we can. Yeah. Uh, uh, it, it is set up as a trilogy, so. Right. But. And then, the, and then, and then there is a trilogy that that is the follow up to the trilogy, which, as I recall, at least at the time, I enjoyed even more than the original trilogy. Uh, and then there's like epilogue books that come like years and years later and and like they told that story and then just kept expanding and expanding and expanding from it Uh, but i think if you were going to read it you'd want to at least read the first three books um so i guess the point is we should expose tracy to dragonlance at some point and if we do we should just dedicate ourselves to reading the first three books uh one right after another probably and i also just want to make it clear like i'm not saying that this was the book's fault at all um, but just purely like the the combination of trying to move, having a toddler, having a very busy work schedule, plus something that was a little um, felt a little harder to just jump into. It, it, uh, it had some unexplained it. lore. Yeah. yeah, and like so, the I think after the fifth time that I rewound, pretty much to the beginning, I was like, okay, I don't think I'm going to finish this book in time. Right. Yeah. No. I and like. And you're not wrong. Like it is, it does a lot of Dragonlance lore references early on, um, and like when we read a, a Realms novel, I can't come from the perspective of not knowing that, right? Because I read it so long ago. Um, like I don't remember the details. Like they describe at the beginning of the book, and it might have been even in the epilogue or the prologue, um, where. Lord Soth, who is the main character uh, of the book, uh, is involved in a, a, a massive battle that was part of the War of the Lance from, from the original trilogy and runs into to Tannis and he goes chasing after Kitiara and, and like they keep dropping references and names of well-known characters in the setting. But 
because they're so well known in that setting, and I think because the Dragonlance novels generally sold much better than the Ravenloft novels, at least that'd be my guess. Um, that they, the uh, James Louder, the author, probably didn't feel compelled to go and explain a lot of it, right? Because he had he just sort of assumed that if you're reading Ravenloft, you've probably read Dragonlance, right? Yeah. Right. Well, Ravenloft at that time was basically absorbing a lot of uh, characters from all the different franchises of D and D. I mean, uh, p- previous to that book, there was a a uh, Forgotten Realms character that got brought, an elf vampire that got brought into Ravenloft. Then, then there was Lord Sop. So there was a bunch of there's even Dark Sun. Uh, and uh, uh, Vecna, the Vecna himself from Greyhawk, would be um, absorbed into into a domain of dread as well. Yeah, and basically they were building up the camp, the Ravenloft campaign setting by having all of these characters come in. It's like, oh, you enjoyed this setting? Well, here you go. Here's a more darker version type thing. Well, and it does a nice job of sort of highlighting a concept of the D and D settings that all exist in the same sort of universe or multiverse or whatever, however you want to yeah. describe it. Right. Because there, you know, if, if Ravenloft can absorb them all, that means, wait a minute, that means I could actually go from one to another, which was kind of a big deal in second edition because you had Planescape and Spelljammer and Ravenloft and all these other ways of transporting yourself from one world to another. Like they worked really hard to build a lot of settings during second edition. And then they also worked pretty hard to make it clear that all of those settings were in the same, that, that they were all in the same multiverse and you could travel to them. Yeah. And that, that really feels like what the whole point of this book was. I, th- I feel like James Louder was, was probably, and you know what? And I've talked to J- James Louder. I could probably could have reached out to him and asked. Um, but I feel like, he was probably told, you know, hey, we need to tell the story of how Lord Soth goes from Dragonlance to Ravenloft and ends up becoming the the lord of his own domain. Go yeah. ahead and write that book, right? That was the that was the mandate. Yeah. And from what I recall of in the Dragonlance Chronicles book, Lord Soth is just really a minor character that shows up not just in the background helping out as a villain. So mm-hmm. moving him there rose him to a prominence of being like, ooh, this is an important character now. Yeah, so. my my memory of Dragonlance from back in the day was that Lord Soth, uh, he's sort of the Boba Fett of Dragonlance, right? He's that he's that little, he's not a major character, but he's a character that plays an important part, and a lot of people latched onto him and, and thought he was really cool. Yeah. Uh, and so I remember there being a lot of, like, he he's from this, dark you know creepy castle and he uh he's in he's intrinsically involved in the cataclysm that sort of semi-destroyed dragonlance or the world of dragonlance Kryn, at one point and um he's got sort of this classic tale of betrayal and you know love and what have you that is almost cliche you know at this point is it cliche because it started it or I mean, I can't imagine this was the first time a story was told of uh, a knight being unfaithful to his bride because he fell in love with another woman. In fact, I feel like that's part of Arthurian yeah. legend, isn't it? <laughs> so, so no, I'm going to say that that Soth was not the first one, right? It's more than Prasad just turned into a very darker turn than most of those. Right. 
Imagine imagine Lancelot had like stuck with his decision to to steal Guinevere away, and then was was cursed in a way that crashed a meteor onto the Earth, killing you know millions of people, and then turned down dead as a result of the curse. Like that's that's the story of Lord Soth, right? He's Lancelot with a with a much harsher penalty for his actions, right? So, so yeah, so like you're right, Tracy. I think the beginning of the book is really lore heavy. I think it's, uh, I think, I feel like James Lauder is trying really hard to, um, to firmly establish that this is the dark or the, the Dragonlance character. I'm going to keep changing setting names. That this is the Dragonlance character um, that we are taking into this other world. And so it's really lore heavy. He works really hard to sort of establish what's going on. Um, there's lots of, even when he gets to Ravenloft, there's lots of like flashbacks. So you get the story, uh, his backstory of how he was cursed and, and how he became um, this horrible evil creature that he is, right? Right. But the story in Ravenloft then simplifies a lot. Like there's none of that lore is there. I think if you knew nothing about Ravenloft, as soon as he shows up in in Ravenloft, you could probably follow along with the story. Yeah, it is a very simple of him just go about learn about the world of Ravenloft, learn who is in charge, which is Strad opposing. Strad, so he can show his might, and right. trying to figure out a way to escape because even though he was tricked into believing by a servant that uh, it is a uh, Tanari lord that trapped sent him there and all that, so yeah, it was like it, he was so he's chasing after his seneschal who's a ghost. Um, who went to the abyss and retrieved the soul of Kitiara, which is one of the main characters from the Dragonland stories, um, who he's got some affinity for or whatever, right? So he wants the soul back so he can bring her back. Um, and then the Seneschal, like, betrays him and tricks him, and it all ends up, you know, oh, never mind, I guess we're here in Ravenloft now, and the Seneschal ends up going to work for Strahd, and there's this... Like the the relationship between Strahd and Soth to me feels a lot like two player characters in a D and D game, right? Like you, you got two like hard headed, arrogant, like no, I'm the master of my domain. No, I'm the master of my domain. Sort of you know people that sort of grudgingly kind of sort of get along, but both of them constantly think they're better than the other one and try to bully them around and, and make them do what they want or, or arrogantly or like, no, I'm going to do whatever I want. You can't force me to do anything sort of attitudes. Yeah. Did, did anybody else get that impression? It's like two, like Stride would be the evil wizard and Sot would be the evil fighter that are basically butting heads, but they are both very powerful and evil and they will, they, they want to establish who is the dominant person, even though... I mean, I, I feel like I've had that conversation in a game, though, when it was just two characters who are both, you know, arrogant know-it-alls, you know, so that refuse to bend to anybody. But I, but you're right. That, that, that is the more detailed version of the, of the story. Uh, but I felt like that, that, those conversations were conversations I've seen at my table before. I've probably been involved in in my, in my days, so... You? No. <laughs> 
but yeah, so the story uh, flattens out and, and becomes very, fairly simple at that point, right? It's um, it's Strahd running around, and he manages to get um, oh, what's her name? Magda. <laughs> yeah, that sounds right. Um, so so he gets Magda. Uh, from the Vistani, that's the name of the group, right? Yes, the Vistani, the Gypsy group, which is which is the the slightly problematic uh, stereotype of of Roma that have always existed in Ravenloft, right? I think we talked a little bit about that when we talked about Curse of Strahd. Yes. Yeah. And I believe we talked about it in the Ice Strahd too, because I believe they show up there too. Oh, sure. Uh, and so he gets her to come along sort of grudgingly, um, at first, like, she's like, okay, I'll be your guide, but only because like, you're really powerful and you're going to kill me if I don't. Um, but eventually like she hitches her wagon to him. Like my life's not going to get any better doing what I'm doing and somebody's going to kill me and all my family and friends are probably dead. So I'm just going to sort of hitch my my wagon to the star of Lord Soth and hope that he pulls all this off and my life is better for it, you know? Yeah. Other thoughts on Magda? Uh, I don't have any other thoughts. I mean, <laughs> as you <laughs> Yeah, she's a very... There. She's a character. I think she's more of the... the character that you're more supposed to appease to as the character, sort of. So, considering that the, your protagonist... Sot is just this evil guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes so, sense. Like, you're supposed to relate to her? Yeah. Because the only other main character is the is the the, were, the were-badger dwarf, right? Yes, Asgarel. And and he's not real relatable either. No, he's rather of a big, thuggish dog. Right. Very, lo- very loyal, very following obey stuff but rather brutish and i don't even know that i did describe him as loyal he's loyal in as much as he sees that it benefits him like yeah. he, he's not a particularly altruistic person um but it's, magda does play an interesting role because you talk about how she's the she's sort of our window into the sor- story right she represents us in some ways she's our related our relatable character and at the same time, like usually it's the relatable character who then goes out and discovers the world and other people sort of introduce them, uh, introduce us to the world through that character, right? But Magna sort of serves both roles. Like she is the sympathetic one that we're supposed to relate to, but she's also the one who describes and explains the world to everybody because it's completely new to Soth and Azrael comes along, you know, halfway through the book. Yeah, she she's a, she's our guide in the story itself. Yeah, as much as she's Soth's guide, so it's a, it's yeah. an interesting sort of um, switch up of that role because she's not she's the one that we're supposed to connect to, and she's also the one who has all the information and all the knowledge. There's still an excuse to sort of have that conversation and describe the world, though, that helps us get a glimpse into what's going on. Uh, and then there's Azrael, um, who is the were badger dwarf, which I found to be an interesting choice. <laughs> I guess it was it's highlighting the the weird, quirky, fantastic nature of second edition D and D, right? Yeah, because okay, was- so, so it's a dwarf. I get it. You're being fantasy, and even though Ravenloft is primarily occupied by humans there are other fantasy races and so it makes sense to to have that kind of a character but a were badger like why a were badger like 
because it's sort of underground for dwarves. I I guess. I that that's the closest I can think of. I mean, yeah. I mean by that by that logic, it should have been a, a wear mole or whatever, right? <laughs> a were rat would have worked, and were rats are more common in D and D literature. I don't think I've ever heard of another writer using a were badger ever in a in a D and D book. They are rare breeds of lycanthropes, though. Like I don't even think they got statted out in later editions. I don't remember there being a were badger for fourth or fifth anyway. Um, you know, third edition was so huge it had everything. I imagine they were probably there at some point, but no, I do Looks remember. Like- in second edition, the stats coming out for a bunch of different types oh, yeah. of lycanthropes. Tracy, so. you're gonna say? Uh, there are definitely homebrew folks that are creating wear badgers. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Um, Asriel is like this this tag along buddy sidekick to Soth, who also hitches his wagon to Soth because Strahd was like torturing him, um, and it's an interesting relationship, right? Because Asriel doesn't care about Soth any more than Soth cares about Asriel, but they're, they both are, are looking at a mutually beneficial arrangement. And then there's occasional like fight scenes where Asriel, there's like, there's no way Asriel can keep up with the power of Soth. Uh, like having a vague concept of how D and D statistics work. Like there's no way Asriel even, even starts to measure up except he has this huge benefit of second edition, uh, Lycanthropes, being taking zero damage from non-magical, non-silvered weapons, right? So he can walk into the the horde of zombies, and he may not kill a lot of the zombies with Soth, but he's not going to die from that encounter either, you know? Yeah. And being a dwarf, he can last for a long time, so you just... It's just going to take longer to defeat them, but he'll do it. <laughs> yeah, right. He's just sort of, Yeah, he's like a... a as a character, he's a, he's a bit of a ball bearing of a character, right? He's just this little ball of metal that you can't beat, right? You can't destroy, no matter how hard you hit him. Um, and so, yeah, so so it's the it's the story of Soth shows up in Ravenloft, wanders around, and eventually meets Magda, and Magda takes him to Castle Ravenloft, where and he's going to confront Strahd in order to require that he be given a way home. Uh, and Strahd's like, yo, I'm trapped here. I can't tell you how to get out. Um, I think those, that was an exact quote, right? Uh, pretty much. Pretty I, mean, <laughs> don't, I don't think he said yo. But um, no, that's that's how I recall Soth, uh, Strahd talking, right? Okay. <laughs> yo, I don't know how to get out of here, but there's some rumors of this, this other place that has a gate or something, right? Uh, yeah. in, in this other domain or it, it's kind of weird. Cause like, is it another domain? Is it not another domain? Like I didn't think you could re- leave Ravenloft without going to another domain of dread, but there's like an indication that there's uh, like a, a relationship between these two lands. Yeah. I mean, from what I gathered of it, that, that Strahd could not him physically go there, but he could send folks there. Right. So, Which, so, so that's why he needs Soth to go there or someone to go to it to, to kick the ass of this Duke that is causing problems for him. But but the, to... but the weird part of, of that for me is that like this Duke is not a character I've ever heard of having a domain of dread in second edition Ravenloft. Um, maybe I just don't remember. Um, it's been a while, 
But like this seems like a, a weird like it, was it another domain or was it just this other place beyond the mist that wasn't really a domain but was still kind of connected to Barovia or I don't know. Um, it was a thing. So Soth goes off for that, but he thinks he finds another possible portal on the way, um, which doesn't turn out to work for them, right? Mm. They dig through this cave by the river. Um, they find a gate. They face off against a gibbering mouther. Yes. And doesn't he meet up with Caradoc as Seneschal in the end? At the end of the book? Yeah. Sure, yeah. I'm trying to remember what was, what like, they went through the gate and it took them to this place of, like, utter blackness and whatever. And if people went through, then they never came back. And there was this whole thing that happened there. Like, Azrael was supposed to end up dying but didn't die um, because he's a lycanthrop or something. There was some entity there. I, I think I, it was a trip. You think it's what? I think, as you said, it was a gibbering mounter, but... Oh, was... Well, I thought th- that was the gibbering mother was before the gate, and then they went through the gate, okay. and then oh. they, they were like on another plane. But I can't remember oh. how, exactly how that played out. Like, where did the gate go? Do you remember? I do not remember. Don't remember. So. It, ultimately, it ended up being this weird like side quest that didn't really matter anyway. Yeah. Um, because it was just sort of a distraction, and then they went off to um, the Duke's domain, and the Duke's. Um, son is like perpetually young and weird and creepy and like captures people and shrinks them and puts them in his little dollhouse and makes them run like tests and things and to survive. Um, and so they kill off the son and the Duke's all mad, but Soth is going to destroy the Duke and the Duke is a vampire and turns into mist and, uh, Soth's all, Hey, that's it. You're either going to keep fighting and die, or you're going to show us where this portal is that you have access to. Uh, and so the a door opens, and they go down the passageway, and they find the portal, and they go through the portal, and where does it leave them? To another domain of dread. Not to another domain of dread. It actually leads them back to a town in Barovia. Oh. <laughs> so this por- this portal that he was after this whole time, trying to get out of Ravenloft, actually leads him right back almost to where he started. Yeah. Uh, it was a nearby town near Castle Ravenloft. Uh, and so, of course, that was a big failure. And then he fights with uh, Strahd over it. And then, uh, which is where, like, the big, like, there's a giant horde of zombies trying to stop you from getting inside of the castle. And Soth just, like, it's like one of those scenes from a classic, like, Arthurian legend of, like, you know, the knight just fighting for hours and hours and hours and hours <laughs> and the bodies piling up around them and that kind of stuff, right? Yes. Uh, and then eventually, I started to lose the thread a little bit at the end. Eventually, Strahd goes off to the mist. Oh, that, that's when he met Caradoc, the, Senesh- the ghost of Seneschal, right? Yes. Yeah. I, I do remember when he meets up back and trying to remember he enacts his revenge. Yeah, so like Caradoc shows up during the fight with the, the zombie horde on the bridge to, Raven- to the castle. Um. And is like, and I think that might have been when Caradoc like spilled the beans. Like I, I tricked you all along. Kitiara's soul was there inside the rib cage of my body in your castle all along. Um, and then Soth got crazy pissed, and like Strahd's like, oh well, he took off. He's headed towards the mist. So you better chase after him. 
and so Strahd chases after Caradoc into the mist and goes a little too far, and the dark powers of Ravenloft say, oh, you're trapped now, and here's your own domain of dread, and now you're you're one of the cursed lords of Ravenloft. Is that sort of how it, how it played out? Sort of, yeah. Did I miss anything? Not I can recall. I mean, it, it kind of played out fairly straightforward once they got to Ravenloft. It was go to Strahd, uh, butt heads with Strahd, be told that there's a portal on your way to, to, to go deal with the portal, which really was never a way out. It was just Strahd trying to mess with the the, ne- the next door neighbors. Yeah, You know, it, it was, yeah. well, I've got this really powerful thing. Let me aim him at one of the people that pisses me off. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, on the way there, there's a side quest uh, that was kind of interesting, an interesting little encounter, but ultimately doesn't go anywhere. And then off to the Duke and a fight and a bat and coming back and finding the ghost and chasing him into the mist. And uh oh, now I'm trapped. And that's. That's how Strahd be, or how Soth becomes a, a Lord of Ravenloft, right? Yep. And and then of course along the entire way, you get this long um, Dragonlance lore um, backstory of how Soth became Soth. This is where you learn the details of his curse. Um, you know, he was married, but he fell in love with this elf maiden, and he had his wife killed. Caradoc is actually responsible for having killed his wife on on his orders. Um, he fell from the knighthood. Um, he marries the the elf maiden. He has a vision of there's a, you have a chance to redeem yourself, um, but you have to do this thing. And what was it like? You but you won't survive the the yeah. if you know you could save the entire world, but it's going to kill you to do so. Oh. Right? Yeah. Uh, and and Lord Soth says, well, then um, I guess that's too bad for the world, right? <laughs> uh, so. Um, Dragonlance is, in some ways, Dragonlance reads like a, a sort of a fantasy post-apocalyptic setting. Um, like at one point in the, not horribly distant, but a, a generation or two ago, like a giant cataclysm happened in Dragonlance that destroyed the great civilizations of the world. And, you know, it was literally described as a, as a mountain fell from the sky and, and crashed into the to the planet, uh, what we would probably call a meteor, right? Yeah. And all the gods left. Right. Because the gods were mad at the way people were behaving. And so they're like, we're totally going to do this thing. But hey, Soth, you've got a chance to stop it all from happening before it happens. All you have to do is is humble yourself, go before, uh, was it the, 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 ki- the king priest of Istar, who was the, the guy who thought himself better than the gods that brought all this down. Um, and you'll probably be ki- you'll definitely be killed for it, but you will save everybody. Uh, and Soth refused to do so, mm. and, th- and so the cataclysm happens. The the king priest is killed, uh, and Dragonlance becomes the the setting that everybody read in the eighties. Yeah. Yes. Did you learn a lot, Tracy? Me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you get all you get all those flashbacks of of Soth. Yeah. Through the whole thing. And it really, like, it establishes his his fatal flaw, right? This is what makes a a, a lord of a domain of dread sort of um, who they are, is that they have this, this utterly horrible fatal flaw. And his is that, like, he refuses to ever humble himself. He, he always has to, to get his way and get revenge on those who wrong him. 
Because if it wasn't for his his rage to get revenge, uh, he would have he wouldn't have been trapped in the mist. You know, he wouldn't have stormed off arrogantly to go after the Duke. He wouldn't have um, been so arrogant as to defy the gods and refuse to sacrifice himself to save the world. Uh, it's all sort of a consistent character flaw of his throughout his story. Yeah. And he's all about him and nobody else. A very selfish character. <laughs> Which is strange for sort of, you know, the character who starts as the noble knight, but that's sort of the whole point, right? Yeah. He starts as the noble knight, but eventually his arrogance catches up to him and is his downfall. Yeah, it falls from grace. He gets cursed by his elf maiden who is a priestess. Because mm-hmm. uh, after his wife got killed off and he unmarried, the elf maiden is old. He basically was more corrupting. He There's even scenes in the book about him beating Isolde. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he and definitely was not a good husband, right? No, he was not. And she curses him for life eternal. Right. Or, or rather, I think it was, uh, he will live as many lives as those he has killed off type thing. So. And if you include, if you make him responsible for the cataclysm, then that's a, a lot of lives, right? Yeah. Yeah. So this is a D&D book, but it's not a typical D&D book. Like the protagonist is not the good guy. They're not fighting off the monsters. They kind of are the monsters. Um, what can a D&D person, what can a D&D uh, player garner from this book that would be of interest to them that might come into their their D thinking well i mean one thing is that there are people that play evil campaigns so mm-hmm. uh their pcs might very well be this way and um i think the book does go a fair bit into uh very kind of human in some way reasons why he did stuff mm-hmm. which may or may not be interesting to folks like you know it he's out for himself uh things like that but in the end like he does crave some companionship even though in the end at, at the end he probably will just get tired of that person as well um, because he's never fixed his real issues <laughs> right yeah yeah and, and i don't know that his issue was i mean other than i guess his first wife he got tired of her because he found something better right but with the second wife he never got tired of her he just he entered into a, what was clearly an abusive relationship with her. Like he was, he was about the relationship, but he, his expression of, of caring in that relationship was not a very kind expression. Right. Yeah. I just, the Banshees kept talking about how he would tire of, um, Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Too as well. So yeah. But yeah, like he never really worked on himself. He just kept going forward. Then it kind of reinforced, his, like you were saying earlier, the his not being humble. He just kept putting, like, doubling down every mm-hmm. every time. Well, I think that's a big of the theme for Ravenloft of it being the world of Ravenloft of being a mirror of the villain of the monster, but just so they can see themselves what they are, but then you remove any support mechanism to get for them to get better because 
you just want the monsters left. Right. It's a little bit like the uh, the frog and the scorpion story, right? And that these these characters, Soth and, and Strahd and the, and those kinds of characters, uh, they have this fatal flaw, and it's just part of their nature, and they and there's nothing that can be done for them to overcome it. Good, yeah, and I think it gives some interesting insight into um, into a villain, right? Uh, it's not too often outside of Ravenloft that you get a story told from the perspective of the villain. Um, so it's not the most nuanced perspective of a villain, but I think if I'm running a D&D villain, I don't need the villain necessarily to be the most nuanced character, right? <laughs> I need it to be clear that they're the villain. I want them to be, have enough... Uh, background and complexity that they're interesting um but beyond that like i don't need it to be much more than that right and that's kind of that's kind of what i feel about soth right he wasn't uh he was pretty straightforward like he was the person he was and he never really grows yeah i don't i don't think there's any character in this book that actually changes and grows right which normally in in most books i would consider to be a flaw but I think that's kind of the point that, that's being made, is that these are people who can't grow, and that's why they're the bad guy. That's why they're evil. Yeah. And then one thing that was kind of a small detail that I did happen to catch uh, was the, the, the fact that there are three moons. Yes, that, that, that's part of Dragonlance lore, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but the fact that the only evil characters could see the third one, um, just in terms of interested D and D crowd, I felt like those little mm. tidbits might be useful for campaigns. And doesn't necessarily have to be alignment, but that's an easy one to tie things to. Yeah, Dragonlance has big ties with alignment. Mm-hmm. Well, at least especially if you're a, a, what was a wizard, right? If you're a mage, and also a priest, and all like that. So they well. They, I, I've always felt like the priests were it mattered more who your god was than what your alignment was, um, which I suppose has some correlation, right? But yeah. for the the wizards, like you have to be part of the council of wizards, and that means you have to choose: are you good, evil, or neutral? And that means you have to associate with one of the three moons, but only the evil wizards can see um, the black moon of of was it Nuatari, something like that. Sounds about right. It's been a long time since I've read some Dragonlance books, but right. uh, so yeah, that that's a, a a fun and interesting part of the Dragonlance lore that you've caught there, Tracy. That I think, um, like, it gets some play, but it's it's always sort of a background detail. It's never a major like story point. Yeah. Right. So in Dragonlance, there there is precedent of a character, one of the wizards, changing from being neutral to going evil. So. You can have these, if you're doing that, with the having visions of that moon that you're seeing from time to time and not, and maybe for that transformation if you're going that route. So. I'm trying to remember, does that happen in the, in the original trilogy or does that happen in the second trilogy? I think it's happened in the second trilogy. In the second trilogy, yeah. Which is why I think at the time I, I liked the second trilogy even more because that was one of my favorite characters as a, as a middle schooler. For for whatever that's worth, right? He was a very that that specific character, Raceland, I believe. Yeah, he, I didn't he was, I didn't want to spoil it for Tracy, but yeah, <laughs> he, he was a very he was a very popular character for teenage. Oh yeah, for teenagers. absolutely. Cool. 
All right. Well, I think we've talked to, talked this book through. Like we didn't have a real crazy in-depth conversation about it, but it was a pretty straightforward book, right? Yeah. Yeah. There is a sequel to the book. <laughs> there is a sequel, and I would be kind of be interested in, in checking it out because honestly, um, I thought this book was going. When I went into it, my expectation was that this book was about um, Soth in his domain. Mm. Um, I didn't realize this book was going to almost entirely take place in Strahd's domain um, or Dragonlands. Right? I expected that that part to move relatively quickly, and so this book was not what I expected. Uh, what I expected was the second book, which uh, I think it was on sale on Audible um, a year or so ago, and I picked it up for cheap. So I, I, I already have it, so I'm, um, I'll have to check it out at some point. It's on our list of series to come back to, um, along with Dark Sun, uh, Istrad, and Star Wars, which we'll be looking at next month. So should we call that the end of our discussion? I think sounds good. Sure. All right, then that's the end. It's time to say goodbye. We want to say thank you to all of our patrons at patreon.com slash the Tome Show. And for those of you who shop at Amazon and the DMs Guild using our affiliate links over at thetomeshow.com. And if you'd like to contact us, you can send us an email at thetomeshow at gmail.com. You can call our biz line, 919-BIZ-TOME. That's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. You can find me uh, at Sarah Dark Magic on Twitter and SarahDarkMagic.com. You can find Jeff at Squatch at S-Q-U-A-C-H or at The Tome Show on Twitter and you can find Eric at Eric M. Pack P-A-Q Show notes and other great shows are at TheTomeShow.com Alright, and that's our thoughts of Night of the Black Rose. Up next in January, like we said, we are returning to one of the series that we started a while ago, the Star Wars Aftermath series, as we read Star Wars Life Debt by Chuck Wendig. And I think there'll be some good conversations about that as well. Until then, keep turning the page, Tomites. I'm on the wall.